Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Oh, Captain, my Captain. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. Let's get nuts. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. I'll have what she's having. You have chosen wisely. It reminds us all that once was good. And it could be again. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious... You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. Classic movies, 30 years in the making. It's episode number 274 of the, I was about to say, the Little Mermaid something podcast. It's, it's reading is it's, fundamental. Reading is is an option Re- these days. Apparently. Right. We don't so, have to read. I we have we don't have the best words, those have already been taken. But we do have a podcast and we are gonna talk about a nineteen eighty nine movie known as the Le Petit Syringe. Or the Little I, Mermaid. You, the Petit Syringe? No, not Syringe. Oh. That's a totally different <laughs> like, movie. Wait a minute. <laughs> I remember a, Syringe in this movie. That's uh isn't it James Wan, isn't he the guy that does all the horror movies like The Conjuring and the that could be his movie. The Petty is a split off from the song. So this is a Disney-fied Disney okay. episode. Disney horror movie. Which is why I'm here. That's why it's Jeff's Disney. here, because that's all he cares about. Is Disney. Is Disney. Is Disney. Nothing else. Everything no, else. No, actually, too. I'm here because, actually, timing-wise, mm-hmm. it worked. It worked. I was able to come back and join you guys. I've I missed know. you guys. I know. We missed you, I've too. been listening to your episodes and wanting to yell at some of you guys for your opinions and how mm-hmm. wrong you are. Mm-hmm. But then I just realized I'm yelling in my car and nobody can hear me and it's just pointless. That's true. And that's, you know, for us, that's the best way for you to yell. That, that's, yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> but no, it's going to be a, Guys, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving week. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm thankful that I get to still be a part of this this uh, this experiment that John started four years ago. Absolutely. And, it's great to see And that's working that. out. And congratulations on the... Increasing size of the family and Thank all that you. kind of stuff. And it's, it's been a piece of cake. Yeah, well, as, <laughs> as any parent out there knows. Uh-huh. And also, thank you to. Um, I'm popping my peas. Uh, piece I, of cake. I, and then now. pound the table while you pop your peas. Yeah. Cake. Um, pull a pack can of gallo there. But uh, also, uh, congratulations to Katie as well. And thank um, you very I'm glad much. Glad that the schedule was able to work. That you were able to join us because I know that adds, you know. That adds stressors on other sides of the thing and all that. So yeah, well, and I, I appreciate back. you guys uh, being patient with this episode because it's, you know, Little Mermaid is, while seemingly untraditional for a group of grown men to sit and talk about, there's a lot more to this movie, a lot more of, of the importance behind this movie that I wanted to uh, to touch base on. Well, we kind of started talking about Little Mermaid when we were talking about Black Cauldron, like, what was that, three years ago? Way back when. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of, that's part of the backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've got some notes, and we're gonna I'm gonna do my best to explain it, um, and condense it so we're not here forever because we don't have that sort of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into that, before we get into that, I Pat, plug your ears. Okay, no, right. we're, well, we're not going there yet. <laughs> oh, not there yet. Okay, okay. No. never mind. Never mind. Uh, I did want to mention Netflix. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Toys that made us season three. That thing three. is still around. <laughs> it, it is. Okay. Uh, season three of Toys that Made Us came mm-hmm. out, and I was able to watch all four episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. My Little Pony, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and WWF, WWE figures. I, I heard about that one. Um, used to have a bunch of those. I gave mine away to a, a family friend. Okay. Kind of, kind of like End of Toy Story 3. Yeah. I gave them to the next generation of 
okay. a child that can appreciate those sorts of toys. Mm-hmm. Um, this season was really good. Okay. I think they, they did a really nice job of combining the history, a deep dive into the history of the toys and the creation of the toys and the story without it just being like, yeah, here are these figures. Mm-hmm. I feel like season two was a little bit lazy on their part. Season three was excellent. Okay. I think the best episode was the Ninja Turtles. Okay. Uh, I didn't know a lot of the backstory or that the two creators had a falling out after 20 years, 20 plus years, and stopped talk to, talking to each other. Of Turtles? Yeah. Eastman and Laird? And it was this show that reunited them, really, and kind of brought them back together. Nice. Um, really solid episode. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the, um, just the backstory on, on all four episodes. Mm-hmm. They really did a nice job with the history of, of the creative process, not just, these toys came out, here's what they did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. This Friday, their movie series comes out, The Movies That Made Us, oh. and they're doing a deep dive into older movies and the story behind the movies. Nice. Four movies they're discussing in season one, Dirty Dancing, uh, Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. Die Hard, and Home Alone. Nice. I'm kind of looking forward to it because their pitch to Netflix involved taking the Die Hard movie poster mm-hmm. and putting Sinatra's face over Bruce Willis's <laughs> face. Mm-hmm. And that's what they used to say. This is what movie mm-hmm. could have been. Yeah. We'd like to talk about that. Which I, I think I actually did that when we did our podcast. You may have, I think yeah. I like superimposed Sinatra's face over so when, when he's crawling through the air duct with the lighter. They had a different I, shot. I, I think I photoshopped yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's what sold Netflix on the series. That comes out this Friday. So I'm kind of looking forward to that as well. Nice. Nice. So that's all I have to say about the flicks. Mm-hmm. The Irishman. Irishman comes out soon. And how cool that they do in the theater and on Netflix. Well, have you heard of The Irishman? I've heard of it. It's yeah. controversial. Yeah. It is controversial, but it, it's easier for you to say. It's controversial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just fun. Uh, it's is controversial. This is like back. It's like back in the um, when the OJ trial was going on, and Dana Carvey had a stand-up special. Yeah. And he said, "Unless you're, I think it was something like, unless you're drunk, you can't actually say the word judicial system. <laughs> <laughs> it's the ju- Your Honor, the judicial system." Yeah. So, anyways, I know it is controversial, mm-hmm. but I, uh, uh, I'm excited to see it because yeah, it's, I'm, it's I'm, I'm looking forward to, to it. Fantastic. I mean, you have well, you have Scorsese, you have De Niro, you have Pacino, and Joe Pesci. No, is, Joe Pesci. Yeah, and yeah, Joe, Pesci. Joe Pesci. Yeah, yeah. Joey Fish. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I'm, God, what can go wrong? That's it's quite a talented group. It's very good. And I know that Scorsese caught himself in a little hot water with some of his comments about Marvel movies, and that they're not cinema. It's like going to watch. It's the same experience of going to a theme park, blah, blah, blah. It's fine. Story for another podcast. I like, that. I, mean, I, like, I like theme parks, so. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Yes. I didn't appreciate the number of people that showed hatred towards Scorsese as being a washed-up director. I'm like, you clearly don't know your movie history right, but if of, you're calling him a washed-up director. But of course Scorsese is going to be the one to say something like that against the Marvel, you know, yeah. not nothing against Scorsese, but it's like this guy makes these kinds of movies, Absolutely. and of course he's going to say something. And who like came? That. Who came to his defense? Coppola. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, of course Coppola's going to come to his defense. And they grew up making different kinds of movies. Right. Right. And and it's sort of like okay, but in one sense, I don't live my life like I don't yuck someone else's yum. Like whatever, I mm-hmm. do my thing. You do, you're like that's fine. But of course, it's different types of movies all kind of gelling well, together. And, and the internet suddenly, well, we can just totally. Well, all, it's all the butt hurt people on the internet. Yes, that had yes. to respond, and, and then we respond, and then and we now we, now we need to go back and get another comment from them, and now yes. they need to, all resp- yes. oh, the people respond. Now we need another comment. 
Let it be. I, I know. I understand I, the fact that it's a different style yeah. of movie making, a different style yeah. of storytelling. Scorsese, to me, Jeff Mazuka's opinion, has earned the right to have his opinion because of the body of work he's created. Right. He's not some no-name unknown trying to make a name for himself right. by making comments. He's earned the right. Yeah. Do well, I agree? Do I disagree? doesn't matter. Well, and here's what we've said several times on the podcast. If you don't agree with an opinion, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't have to, like, you don't have to shout back into the chasm. You yeah. can just be like, huh. Well, like I did. I read Scorsese's stuff, and I was like, huh. huh. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, okay. Like, I, doesn't, I, don't, I don't hate the guy because of his yeah. comments. I, I also <laughs> am not sitting there going, would you know the Marvel movies are the best thing that's ever been do made? Do you like Marvel movies? Yes, Then it shouldn't I do. matter and what anybody else thinks of Marvel I, movies right. if you enjoy it. I like some of Scorsese's movies. I like some of the Marvel movies. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Maybe Scorsese needs to do a Marvel Maybe movie. Maybe he should. Well, and it's like, how many times have we heard this oh, man. from, Howard you know, the Duck. in music? Think of that, like, you get, like... I want to see Martin Scorsese do Howard the Duck. Oh, that is movie. excited. The movie. A movie, yeah. Not well, do Howard the Duck. The, well, make a movie. I mean, that might, but that might be in the movie. It could be. Knowing Howard. You look at, like, a, like someone that's, like, a purist, a classical music purist, mm-hmm. and suddenly, if the symphony on one night, they're not doing some symphony or, or piece from mm-hmm. you know the high-end you know classical repertoire um suddenly they're maybe they're doing a movie music there's some purists out there that'll be like why are they doing that or that whole like orchestra plays you watch the movie thing mm-hmm. Ugh. you know they but it's just like that's so, fine don't, so don't buy tickets don't to buy a ticket. on the flip side so don't go right on the flip side it's sort of like you know you, you see that in jazz music you see i'm sure the art world i mean this this conversation has happened and it's going to happen again, and it's like... Just not, change the thing you're talking about. Exactly. The only thing that just makes it like, hey, hey, is, is, as we've said, it's the it's the internet and the whole thing. And it's like, we're, it, the culture is that now. I mean, like, I, I sat down to watch a motor race, and, you know, I found out, and all of a sudden, across the bottom, there was a scroll of people's tweets. You could, like, tweet in, and, and I'm like, why do I care? If I want to know what that person mm-hmm. thinks, I'll go to the local whatever sports bar, we'll watch the race together, I'll listen to that person think. And even the way they structure it, it's like... What did you say before the... Well, after the last race, he said this about you. What do you think? Oh, well, after you raced that guy... It's just like, just... I want to see the show on the track. Like, right. all this other kind of stuff. I mean, <clears throat> sure. Save it for the track. Save it for the track. You want to prove a point? But, mm-hmm. Let the rubber do the talking. Yeah, we don't need to do this whole, like, what well, do you know what he said about this? Well, do you know what he said about this? Well, well do you, you, know know what, what, you know what John said about you? I can't even imagine. But I'm not on social media, so it doesn't matter. That's true. There it is. You guys say, hey, say whatever you want about Pat. Just today, or, or are we talking about yesterday? <laughs> I don't want to talk about yesterday. Oh, okay. yesterday I haven't gone to church yet. I can't uh, talk about was, yesterday. Yesterday was kind of awkward. Speaking right. of music, yeah, we got let's do a shout-out to David W. Collins of the Soundtrack Show. Yes. It keeps getting better and better and better. And what is the latest show? Uh, the, the the Man With No Name trilogy. Yeah, I've is. got all like, three of them. I'm watching them over. Uh-huh. My like, God, these are amazing movies. What I, One of the things I love about it is I never know what direction he's taking. I'm <laughs> getting choked up. Yeah, I changed yeah. me up, too. Never know what direction he's taking the show. Like, mm-hmm. after he did um, uh, the Danny Elfman stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where's he going to take this? Mm-hmm. What's he going to talk about next? Mm-hmm. And now here we are talking about Morricone and Man With No Name. What a great assemblance of music to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I love his stuff. And, and Pat, John, Pat will tell you, I'm using a lot of David's, uh, David's awesome words. Thing and uh, David W. Collins, I thank you in advance to do a whole presentation to my students about mm. movie music. Yeah. And as we're going to read Jurassic Park in a few weeks, yeah. the kids are going to build a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And I'm just using a lot of the history of soundtracks that uh, 
uh, from the soundtrack show to help explain to the kids what are some elements to look for in choosing music to accompany story. Yeah. Last year when I was I was working with a teacher, one of the music teachers in our district, she had a fifth grade project where the kids come up with a music composition. And it's just something real short, just a few notes, but it has to fit a particular kind of genre. It's got to, in some ways, in just those few notes, it's got to kind of tell a little bit of a story. So you kind of need to have background knowledge mm-hmm. of, of why you're composing this music. And... Um, you know, she had always done it a certain way in the past, and so I sat down with her and I said, "I just happened to have listened to his show on Super Mario Brothers, the music," and I was like, "What? Up. I have Up. a podcast. Just have your kids listen to like this five-minute clip." And it talked all about how that that music was just so simple, just a very simple series of notes, but the way it keeps getting used and the way it's used in different variations and it, and you know and, and he did kind of a deep dive into video game music and how video game music helps tell the story with the visuals on the screen much the same way as movie yeah. music and I was like just take this <laughs> just have your kids listen to this um, yeah. and just so yeah he's 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 been invaluable for I think our brains and any students we've worked with yeah. lately just talking so, about writing and music any of you listening to us Pause. Mm-hmm. Go look up the soundtrack show. Mm-hmm. Download a couple episodes. Come back and listen to us, and then start listening to those. We we have they our uh, we have our we have our Oklahoma contingent of uh, podcast fans. We that, do that. I don't know if they were listening to the soundtrack show before we started talking about it or after. We'll just say right now. We'll take the credit. Like yeah. they, they heard about it on our show, so they went to go listen. So Jason and friends, mm-hmm. you are welcome. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, it's yeah. Cool. Huge shout out to David W. Collins and his always work. look forward to whenever his, a new episode drops. And well, and and like his. His knowledge, like yeah. the research mm-hmm. that he puts into into everything he does, is and I like he so tells well you he out. says where you can go. I yeah. got it from this yeah. book. I got it from here. Yeah. I got it from the liner notes of the the CDs, the albums. And makes me kind of wish I was buying albums again so I can get some liner notes mm-hmm. instead of just downloading music off I, of a, off the iTunes store. Yeah, he um, he was fun to see live too. I saw him at Star Wars Celebration, and he was talking about the music. Oh of no, kidding! Phantom Menace. Yeah. It was, awesome. it was really cool. And what I think the thing I really like about what he does in his show is, for me being a completely non-musical person, like I don't even think I could play any instrument right now if you sat me down in front of anything. Um, but I always like how he has his keyboard right with him, and he'll you know he'll tease out the notes. He's not just replaying a recording of something. Mm-hmm. He'll tease out the notes. And for me as a non-musical person, that actually helps me hear it a little bit better when he plays it out on his keyboard and, and maybe repeats it a couple of different times and plays it a slightly different way. And so I always appreciate when he does that as he's kind of playing on the fly in his episodes. But I, for, for him, I, for for that show, I being a person who does not understand, both of my kids play an instrument, they're very good at it. I, I don't even think I can read music. So for somebody who's completely music illiterate, his show, when I have a conversation, I can actually sound somewhat knowledgeable now because he's like my encyclopedia yeah. of music knowledge. Um, so yeah. thank you, David. Yeah, thank you, David. <laughs> yes. As we're doing shout-outs of podcasts, I want to throw, as we transition into Disney, uh, there's an episode of the WDW radio show. <laughs> because everything is transitioning into Disney right now. It is. <laughs> uh, the WDW radio show, episode 511. This is an interview with uh, of a man by the name of uh, Thomas Nabby. Um, and this is what, Pat, this is what I was telling you about at lunch that one day. Tom Nabby was a lifelong Disney employee. And the start of his story is they moved, he and his family moved to Anaheim in uh, right before Disneyland opened. And his mom was a uh, an autograph chaser. They would drive to Hollywood, go to the big movie premieres, 
and just stand along the carpet and try to get people's um, signatures, autographs. Did the same thing at the Disneyland opening, a lot of celebrities. So they're standing along the uh, along the the walkway, and uh, Danny Thomas is there, and he's leaving the park, I guess. And you know, his, uh, Tom's mom gets Danny's autograph, and he says, "Oh, have you been in the park?" She said, "Oh no, we don't have tickets." He said, "Well, I have two extra," and gave them two tickets. So he got to go into the park as a twelve-year-old, I think twelve-year-old-ish, on opening day. Ended up having a lifelong career with Disney, uh, including pleading with Walt Disney for a job. (laughs) He created the Tom Sawyer character in Disneyland when Tom Sawyer Island was built. And in turn, from there, worked on and has become since a Disney legend. And is enshrined in a very rare feat in a window along Disney, uh, the Main Street at, at Disney World. Oh, cool. In the Magic Kingdom and Disney World. Which, cool. for those of you that aren't big Disney people, it's not easy to get your name on a window in Disney World. Um, but he's got his name up there, which is really neat. Nice. Really cool story just to hear you know, how he went from uh, selling newspapers outside of Disneyland to being Tom Sawyer to help run rides, to help design things. Um, tells a great story of having to walk the uh, the cement rails of the monorail mm-hmm. when they were installing those because of uh, different unions and issues and not being able it took so long to get into the work area mm. because it wasn't run by Disney it was run by the steel mills mm. that instead of trying to go through their security and all that they would just walk along the cement rail mm-hmm. from where they could get in to the new construction site. <laughs> So, really cool interview. That's cool. A lot of what's, what's the name of the podcast again? The WDW Radio Show. Okay. It's episode 511. 511. Okay. Awesome. Um, cool. Now, the other big Disney news as of late, as of last there's couple more. weeks. Oh, there's more, But John. wait, there's more. There's more. <laughs> Disney Plus has arrived. Oh, man. And if your household is anything like mine, mm-hmm. it is the only thing that's happening on your televisions or devices. For the most part, yeah. Um, now, after some glitches mm-hmm. on the first day, mm-hmm. they got a lot of things figured out. Mm-hmm. I had a, a couple of glitches, uh, issues I, I ran into I the first too. day, yeah. but I was really pleased with how quickly they yeah. got things fixed. My, the pages wouldn't load for me on the first day. They would load partway. <clears throat> so I was looking at it going, wait a minute, this is all you're offering on the first day? <laughs> <laughs> like, I know you're going to bring more later on, but there's not much here. Right. And then like 20 minutes later, I reloaded the page on my computer. I was right. like, oh, no, oh! there is. <laughs> right. You've... I spoke, you heard. Well, so here was part of the issue. Day one, over 10 million people signed up. Yeah. Day one. Mm -hmm. Right. That's insane. Mm -hmm. Absolutely insane. But good for them because it's working great. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that they've they've done, though, with some of their movies, there was a lot of talk about some of their uh, cultural references in some of their older films. And how how are they going to handle this? Do they edit out? Scenes? Do they rework some scenes? And what they've done is they've kept everything intact, but included warnings, mm-hmm. content warnings, mm-hmm. of may contain outdated cultural references. What are your thoughts on that? I, I like it. Like I like the fact that they put that warning there, but it's still there for you to be able to watch. Mm-hmm. Like because I I would hate to have, I would hate to have the movie of Dumbo. Let's just use that one as an example. I would hate to have the originally animated movie of Dumbo be one that you edit out entire sections of the movie or you don't, even, you don't even put it up at all 
because of some of the references that are in there. So I appreciate the fact that they put that there. And if you same thing as like the, we talk about the Martin Scorsese things. If you don't want to listen to the person's opinion, you keep walking. Mm-hmm. Don't don't stop and read it. Don't same thing with the movie. If you are super sensitive to those kind of things, don't watch it. And the fact that that warning is there. Now I know that um, because one or two, maybe just one, but I know some of their properties were the entire thing was right. culture song, like Song of the South. Song of the South yeah, is like they're streaming just, like, probably not, won't be streaming. <laughs> never putting that out anywhere. Which yeah. you know, I, I kind of hope that they do at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you don't change history by ignoring it mm-hmm. and pretending it didn't happen. You can use it as a conversation piece to grow. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that there are a lot of people that uh, talk about how offensive Song of the South is, mm-hmm. but I wonder how many people really know what the offense actually is in that movie. Mm-hmm. Or is it easier to say, no, it's offensive, we don't need to talk about it. But what is it exactly that makes it offensive? And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be offensive. Right. right. Don't take that as, as the takeaway from this. For a movie like that, and I don't, I don't want to go too far down in the rabbit hole, but for a movie like that, do you don't release the movie, but do you do do you make a documentary about the history of film and how we had culturally insensitive references and here's how we've come, you know, from 19 whatever until 2020 or 2019. Here's where we've come. Here are clips from the movie, so you can see it, but you see it in a context yeah, that explains that it. Like <clears throat> I, I think for me, I would still say if it's that. If it's an extreme case like that movie, I would say maybe don't. I think it would be a mistake for them to release that on Disney Plus. But if they were to release it in a way that it was put in a context or it had some kind of more education of, around more of a it, purpose, then, mm-hmm, right? So if it was part of a documentary where maybe and maybe you show the whole movie, but maybe you just show clips of it and explain here's where we were, here's where we've come, showing you the evidence, not condoning it, just showing you here's what here's how things used to be. And you, you, you want an explanation as to why, like, I think you asked that question, like, tell us why this is offensive, tell mm-hmm. the young, tell the next generation why right. this is offensive, then you can put it up there. Here's why saying that's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. It's not just words, or it's mm-hmm. not, you know, I mean, because, I mean, you know, you look at the two, and I, I like what Disney did. I like the verbiage they put in, and I, everything you guys have said is great, so I don't need to, to say it again on my own, but I like that they put the explanation as, why are we doing you know why are we doing this and why are we showing it because we want to advance the con- they're, they're advancing the discussion mm-hmm. and they're giving the historical historical context of if we just cover this up mm-hmm. then we forget that it happened and, and we, we can't forget yeah. that that was that that, that that happened and so well I think the one of the biggest names that I've heard come out and say that very thing that we can't we shouldn't cover it up is Whoopi Goldberg mm-hmm. she's very much in the belief that no it should be released it should be available but we need to talk about mm-hmm. it. We yeah. can't just say, here's this for your viewing entertainment. Let's talk about when it was made. Let's talk about why it's it, it's not culturally responsible. Mm-hmm. That's why I wouldn't put it out. If I was Disney, I wouldn't put it out on Disney Plus just as the movie, it's just the standalone movie itself, because in a service like that, kids are going to be clicking around, parents are going to be clicking around. There's no there's no guarantee you'd have that conversation. You know, if a parent right. just says, hey, go, it's Saturday morning, uh, pour yourself a bowl of cereal and, and go watch some Disney Plus cartoons, and the kid's clicking around, they find it, they watch it. There's no conversation there. The parent the parent trusts Disney because it's, I mean, everything's pretty much rated PG or PG-13, and, and you know, you go from there, no, talk, no talking, no, no conversation. But I think if you have it as part of 
some larger program, then you have that conversation built in. Well, what's crazy, <clears throat> what's crazy is you have one of the most popular <clears throat> theme park attractions based on that movie. Splash Mountain is based on mm. Song of the South. Okay. Zippity Doodah came from Song of the South. Right. That music features heavily in that ride. You have characters in that ride mm-hmm. that don't show up at, on any other and anywhere else because it's being uh, it's being closed off. You know, I, I, you're capitalizing on this thing that you know is culturally inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Are the people that are saying the movie is wrong? Are, you know, I haven't heard anyone saying you should shut down the ride. Mm-hmm. People well, seem to enjoy the ride, mm-hmm. just not the movie. And, and that's the that's the question that needs to be asked. And I think, on one sense, if someone asks that question, we they cannot be dismissed and said, "Oh, well, you know, you're just being too sensitive." But on the flip side, okay, we can't just say close it, put it in a box. We're never going to talk about it again. We got to talk about it, and we have to have that explanation of is in that time. This is why this is why it's offensive now. This is why it was offensive then. Mm-hmm. This is why we well, not tolerated it, but this is why we kind of turned a blind eye then. This is how we've you know those those questions I, on both sides. You know, we have to be well. Open to and, it. and what's your demographic of people who have seen Song of the South, found it offensive, have gone to Disney, have ridden the rides, have seen right. the characters, and recognized that those things are all part of the same thing? Probably a pretty small right. demographic, so you probably people probably just haven't made those connections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So newer features of Disney Plus moving moving us along. In just a couple weeks' time, they've added some new features to their to their platform. Uh, a couple of things that I noticed that were missing right away, and I had the same thought: like it'd be great if mm-hmm. you had the opportunity to resume a movie mm-hmm. or a program as you know from wherever you left off. I've noticed that in my household, Toy Story plays at least once a day. Mm-hmm because Thomas is all about Toy Story. Mm-hmm. And we'd pause the movie, mm-hmm. but there'd be no way really to go back and restart it. We'd have to like play it, pause it, go back, mm-hmm. get it to the beginning. Well, that's been fixed. Okay. There's now an option to resume or restart. Oh, nice. Okay. In addition we watched, to... We watched Rogue One the other day, and it didn't do that. So yeah, I was like, it's, oh my God, what? <laughs> it's, what? So, okay, real, real quick criticism of the newer streaming platforms. Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus, because my son got his got a new smartphone, so we have a year of Apple TV Plus. Okay. I really like some of the programs that are on there. They have some really good shows. However, both Disney Plus, and it sounds like Disney's fixing that, Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus went to go watch shows on there, and there are features like that that are missing, like being able to resume a movie after you've paused and left and came back. The other one that drives me nuts on Apple TV Plus is when I'm watching a TV series on Netflix, when I go back to Netflix, the next episode in my queue is already queued up for me, and I just I hit next. When I go to like Apple TV Plus, it puts up episode one of the show, and my choices are either watch episode one or go back to your lineup of TV shows that you have saved in your watch list. I'm right? Like, why do I have to go searching every Di- time? Yeah, Disney it's, Plus hasn't gotten, and the, they, they don't have but that I th- either. I think they might, because yeah. the next thing that Disney Plus added was a uh, a continue watching list mm-hmm. where when you go to Netflix right. you have that option like mm-hmm. these are the things I've already started mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. instead of trying to search and find them again but or that, adding them to my watch that list. was one of the things that drove me nuts at first because when those things came out I'm like oh yes Disney Plus Apple TV Plus this is awesome I'm getting all of these wait a minute Netflix has been doing this for years why didn't you guys just look at that and go okay these are basic 
functions that we should have. But because... But they're doing it now. So the, as long as they're within, doing it now, that's the, fine. Within the first month, they've already made these significant right. changes to the platform. Right. Which would lead me to believe that the episode thing, mm -hmm. the, the tick mark for each episode mm -hmm. watched, mm -hmm. is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope so, because that, that would make it really like, mm -hmm. well, this is just the almost perfect platform. Right. right. Um, shows. Programming. Oh. A couple of notable does, programs. Does Pat need to leave you? I'm going to take a quick... I'm going to take a quick... Uh, <clears throat> Pat needs to leave. Mandalorian. So, so here, here's here's what Man we've been watching. Amanda? A Mandalorian? I'm going to go take a Mandalorian. Okay. Have you seen that meme? The Simpsons one, it's it's Mo in the bar, and yeah. and Bart is making the prank call. He's like, I'm looking for a Miss Lorian, Amanda, a Mandalorian. And you got Boba Fett sitting at the end of the bar? Yeah. Um, before we talk Mandalorian, yeah, um, a couple of is other... Is there anything else? Well, there are a couple of really cool shows oh, on there. okay. I'll the take your word for it. The Imagineering Story. Okay. Documentary feature about the inception of Disney, starting mm -hmm. with the creation of Disneyland, going just up through... I, I don't know how far they're taking it. Mm -hmm. um, really cool... Really awesome deep dive into the history, talking about a lot of the hardships, a lot of the negative things mm -hmm. that they learned along the way, a lot of the relationships that were burned along the way, mm -hmm. getting to the point where they are now. So yeah. you know, it's not a, it's not always a pretty story. Um, another really cool documentary, which is where I got a lot of information from for our Little Mermaid discussion, mm -hmm. is called Waking Sleeping Beauty, mm -hmm. and it's a it's a hard focus on looking at the animation department in the eight, 1980s, mm -hmm. what was going wrong mm -hmm. and what did they have to do to get it back? Mm -hmm. And how close animation was to being shut down altogether. Yeah. Like within inches mm -hmm. of the entire department going away. How did it get to that point? And we can talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Real, so those were some really cool programs. Mm -hmm. worth, definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Mandalorian. Oh God. This was something I was looking forward to from like the moment it was announced. I was just like, this looks incredible. So this story takes place furious after in, after in Jedi. our hearts. After, <laughs> furious after, yes, there. Furious after Return of the Jedi. You have the Mandalorian. Yeah, you do. And here's what I, I'm, I'm going to say right off the bat. This is a Star Wars Western. Yes. Earlier this episode, we were talking about the Man With No Name trilogy. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I envision as mm -hmm. I watch each episode of this show. Mm -hmm. I picture Clint Eastwood mm -hmm. as the Mandalorian. I had my, when we were listening to the soundtrack show, and he was doing the music, and I think the music for The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly came on, and John was in the car with me, and he's like, what is this music? And I was like, uh, it's Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. He's like, this is sick, which, according to the kids, means it's cool. Um, if you say so. I, apparently, we do. Um, but yeah, so that came on, and I said, I said, whoa, hold on. If you want to know more about this, like, pull up a picture, because we had watched all the episodes of The Mandalorian up to that point. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, pull up a picture of, um, look up Clint Eastwood, man with no name. And I said, look up a picture of him, and then tell me if the backdrop, the colors of his uh, clothing that he's wearing, tell me that doesn't look exactly like the Mandalorian when he's got kind of his red armor and his, you know, just to hold the cape, the everything else. And I said, tell me it doesn't look exactly like that. So he's, we're driving somewhere and he's looking on his phone. He's like, oh yeah, that's pretty much exactly the same. <laughs> I said, yeah, it's, it, it's big. And that's why I told, that's why I was trying to explain to him was, to John, my son, was this is a space Western. Yeah. Like you have not seen a lot of these movies and I, and I haven't seen them in a while. So I got to go back before. Go to I Pat's down. house. He's got all I go to Pat's house because you got them. Um, <laughs> I don't recall if I don't recall if they would be okay for a twelve-year-old. 
Interesting you bring those up. Yeah. I, I don't want to. Did you watch them with your kids? <laughs> no. Okay. But I watched them. it's been them. a while since I've seen them. I watched them when I was 10 with my dad oh, okay. and my grandpa. Right. I watched no, that's, them. That's fine. I don't think I should have watched them when I was yeah. 10. I don't know if I watched the, the edited for TV. Okay. They're all R rated. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I just watched the first one. And there's there's violence. Yeah. I don't want to be like, oh, it's just violence. Yeah, yeah. It gets pretty violent. Yeah. Now, the difference between that violent and something that I've seen in a PG-13 movie of today, right. it equates. Right. So definitely watch first. But okay. I, yeah. It's, okay. Okay. You know. So, the, but, Man- yeah, no, so just- the Mandalorian is our Star Wars Western. Yes. And to date, we are three episodes in. Yeah, we are. And what glorious episodes they have been. Put it lightly. I, the words, yeah. The um, sentence making right now is uh, not working because not working. there's so much just, to say. I don't know. This, I, this may be outside of the original trilogy. The most excited you've been about Star Wars? Maybe the most excited I've been about Star Wars. I or, fully agree. Yeah. This, this show has me excited about the Star Wars universe like yeah. I haven't felt in mm-hmm. I don't a know long, how long time. A long, a long time. time. <laughs> like, That's a feeling I've not felt in a long time. How careful they've been mm-hmm. leads me to believe that there's so much more mm-hmm. on its way. Mm-hmm. And the secrets that they've had to keep about this show, the fact that... Here comes your first spoiler, everybody. Yeah, oh, yeah by the way, you spoilers, so Pat, you're, you're going to... Should I just step out and come back, or are you trying to dance around spoilers for our listening audience? I well, no, know. we're probably no, just going to say because we're going to start talking. Oh, well, then I'll, then I'll, wanna, I'll go do, busy do you, wanna, do you want us to text you when we're all done? Or? Yeah, you could do that. Okay. You know, I'll okay. go busy myself with affairs. Yeah, because the we have a few things to talk about. Yeah, no, I get that it. you're probably yeah. not going to want to hear. I'm excited, and when I re-listen to this, I'll make sure to fast-forward, like, 30-second bits and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's fine. I'm looking forward to that. This is just getting me more excited to finally sit down and watch it. Might be more than that. You know. All right, okay. we'll see you in a bit. All right, see you in a bit. And the door is closed. And spoilers. No. Okay. okay. Holy. <laughs> okay. Okay. The first reveal. Well, let's. Before we get to the big reveal at the end of the first episode, let's talk briefly about the possible cameo. Barbecued Kawaki and monkey lizards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought that's what you were watching. No. About. Okay. No. I, the possible cameo. I wonder cameo if that tastes funny. In the background mm-hmm. of the Mandalorian hovel, yeah, not if you will, you don't think it's Boba nah, Fett? It's not I think Boba, is, uh, Boba Fett's dead. You think? You He's think dead. so? Yeah. Disney you don't think they're saving that for no. a really great moment in this in this first season? No, because, and I'll tell you why, because Boba Fett's dead, and Disney has now. Let me let me consider how I want to say this because. Boba Fett is dead. In three 35, 40 minute ish episodes, Disney has already created a character that is leaps and bounds more interesting and cooler than Boba Fett. Should we just, <clears throat> should we just jump to that character? Because, <laughs> huh. well, I. I mean the I mean the Mandalorian. Oh, like the Mandalorian himself. I thought you meant the reveal of oh, the no, character that at the one. end of the first episode. Oh, no, that, no, yeah, we can get the there. Man, just the Mandalorian second. himself is like yeah. phenomenal character. Yes, one of the greatest things. Because when you really think, I mean, and, and still Boba Fett is cool. Like yeah, as, as a kid, it was like oh my I, God, I was I was awesome. like he went out like a punk. Right. I was really disappointed, like in, and in how he was killed. You really off. don't get to see quote him unquote air fingers because we don't know air quotes. Right. Killed off. The only thing that we know is that he has this reputation for being this outstanding bounty hunter. But at the same time, you don't see that in the movies. Mm-hmm. Like, what does he really do to show that he is one of the greatest bounty hunters of the galaxy? 
I, nothing. So he can hide on the back of a Star Destroyer. Good for you. He yeah. tracks, tracks him down to Cloud City. Doesn't even actually do anything. He let Cloud Vader City. do the work. He let Vader and the Imperials do all the work. Then he's got him in his block of carbonite, puts him on a ship, flies him to Jabba's palace, and he's sitting there flirting with dancers the entire time until, like a chump, he ends up getting accidentally whacked in the jetpack. They hate it when that happens. And then ends up falling in the Sarlacc and gives the Sarlacc a nickel for every time I've been accidentally whacked, whacked in the, the jetpack. Jet <laughs> You'd have a dime, at least. <laughs> um, so, as much as I still, Boba Fett is cool. And I, that doesn't mean I'm like sell all my Boba Fett action figures and all that right. stuff. But I still have my autographed one on display in my cave, really? signed by Jeremy Bullock. Uh, anyway, anyway, um, it's right in, in it's right in between my star, uh, Darth Vader signed by James Earl Jones. Shut up. And my Yoda signed by Frank Oz. Shut up. Okay. Anyway, continue. Kill you. <laughs> and take your sign off. <laughs> <laughs> may I have May I have the bounty fob for Jeff Mazuka, please? <laughs> Here's the thing, but if you if you did that, yeah. while Katie would be upset, I might be dead. Mm-hmm. I think she'd be okay with the Star Wars figures leaving the house. Oh, okay. I will keep that in mind. So anyway, okay. I I will take either Imperial credits, Mon Calamari Flan, or Jeff's autographed photos from Star Wars figures. Figure. Oh, figures. 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 Okay. Okay. Anyway, so I, he's already cooler. Mm-hmm. Like he's got. We have his backstory, and when you, I think the prequel backstory of Boba Fett, okay, is disappointing. Because there were like fan fiction backstories and other, yeah. I, I think there had been a backstory kind of created so back I, in the day with comics and other. I just stuff. watch Attack of the Clones. And we have to because we've been going through. And I, I had that moment where I really wish, and it would have been aw- awfully gruesome. Mm-hmm. But when Boba picks up the helmet, yeah. if all of a sudden the Jango's head just right. falls out. In I, I wanted to sound like uh, cranberry, uh, cranberry <laughs> stalk, like coming out, out of the can, can at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Very timely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, but, yeah. Mandalorian, we yeah. don't know anything about his background. We get flashbacks right. to something traumatic happened in his mm-hmm. childhood mm-hmm. that sent him on this path yep. to join the Mandalore. Battle droids. Battle droids. Because some people are like, oh, maybe the Empire came to him. Like, mm-hmm. mm. he's old enough that this could have been like pre Empire, maybe. But that'll be the interesting piece because it, if he's. So, this is taking place 20 five years after Revenge of the Sith. So let's say, let's say he's, I don't know, 30, 35 even. Let's say he's 35. Five years after, after Revenge of the Sith. So this is 25 okay. years after yeah, yeah, Revenge yeah. of the Sith. So let's say he's 35-ish years old. So if Revenge of the Sith, he's about 10, that jives with the kid that we see in these flashbacks. You know, maybe like 8 to 10 years old, somewhere around there. So... The, and you see super battle droids mm-hmm. in the scenes where his you know village is being attacked or whatever. Um, that fits it in the Clone Wars time period. The new season of the Clone Wars cartoon that's coming up um, on Disney Plus. I think it's coming out spring or fall of this I, next I year. I think spring. I believe <clears throat> one of the episodes uh, featured in that cartoon will be, or a series of episodes, because they always do it in like three episode arcs, um, is the Siege of Mandalore. And Dave Filoni, the guy who created Clone Wars and did all those episodes, he has been a producer. He's been working on The Mandalorian. So I'm looking at that and I'm going, okay. Interestingly (laughs) enough, side note, Mm -hmm. based on the success of The Mandalorian, Mm -hmm. Filoni, Favreau, Mm -hmm. and uh, Feige Mm -hmm. are possibly going to be the new overseers of all things Star Wars. That's what I heard. Which, holy crap. Yeah. There's a new trilogy being announced. Thank you, sir. May I have another? 
January we're going to get a new trilogy announcement with director. You just, well, you just announced the new trilogy. By Filoni, Favreau, and Feige. <laughs> um, the, no, three, the three Fs. No, there's going to be a, a new movie trilogy yeah. announcement with a director attached, I guess, already. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see. Anyway, okay. back to Mandalorian. But yeah, I, we got to we, we move the conversation along, John, because we're running out of time. We I still know. have a little mermaid to talk I about. Do. We do? We do. Okay, that's fine. So, <laughs> Unless she's secretly an underwater Mandalorian, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things I really like about the way the, the, the show is shot how well the Mandalorian character can emote. Mm-hmm. You never see his face. Mm-hmm. But man, do you feel the feelings. He is able to connect. And you feel everything he does. Especially in that ep- episode three, mm-hmm. when, he ha- when he has that moment that, I need to go back. Mm-hmm. Well, and he emotes. I, I was reading an interview that was done, I think it was Business Insider, did an interview a few days ago with, um, and I'm probably going to say the name wrong, uh, Ludwig Göransson, the composer, because oh my god, let's talk about the music. That, but what he said, and I don't maybe should have just done a Mandalorian show. I know we probably should have. Um, I think what he said was when he was talking about the music of this is you've got a TV show where you have a character that, as part of his religion, will not remove his helmet. So we may never see him mm-hmm. remove his helmet, and I think that's totally fine. But you need to show that emotion in some way. And he said, I knew that my challenge as a composer was the music has to be what helps emote that character. And so that's where I think the music in this show is just outstanding. Just I have, I've, It's all on Spotify. They've put each chapter's music on Spotify. Every time a new one comes out, I've been adding them all to a playlist and just listening to it over and over and over again, and it just it brings in all the it brings the spaghetti westerns in. It's got um, the one thing I have loved is and and my son John caught it first is uh, Kylo Ren's theme keeps getting played oh, so every time one of the Imperials shows up. It's the dun 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 dun, <sighs> which we'll get into speculation here in just a moment because big talk, reveal talk fast big reveal big reveal at the end of episode one <laughs> this. Uh, bounty, mm-hmm. this fifty-year-old bounty that mm-hmm. they're after is actually a younger Yoda species character. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Mm-hmm. Where? Mm-hmm. Why? How? Mm-hmm. We don't know any of that. And he's so freaking cute. I want one for Christmas. Uh-huh. That's all I want for Christmas yeah. is a baby Yoda. Yep. Real life. I already have two kids, and they're driving me crazy. Yeah. I'd be willing to take on mm-hmm. a third life form if that was it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my daughter Nora listens to um, uh, some other podcasts, and I guess they were doing a show on cuteness aggression. That like when you see something cute, you're like, oh, I just want to squeeze it and like, destroy it. And I, and I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, cuteness aggression is like you can control your emotions. Like just chill out a little bit. But she saw Baby Yoda. She's like, Dad, I understand cuteness aggression now. <laughs> I just want it. <laughs> like, okay, I do too, but. So down. I have two theories. Yeah. The first one I had to mathematically eliminate because it didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. In watching, so I'm wa- I'm watching rewatching all the movies. Yoda and Yaddle. No. Oh. I didn't want to go there. Okay. Rewatching all the movies, getting ready for Rise of Skywalker. It, it gets lonely in the temple. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> um. Episode. I, I completely forgot. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> episode two. Yeah. Yoda goes to Camino. Mm-hmm. to visit the cloning mm-hmm. operation. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what if, while he's there, mm-hmm. a little cloning action takes place? Mm-hmm. Mathematically, it doesn't work out. 
Right. The years don't line up. Right. So because this child would have been born twenty five years this, before it would have this child would have been born Sith. eight years before the fir- before episode one. Correct. So that didn't work out. So I had to eliminate yeah. that as yeah. an option. The other theory I have is more of a retcon theory mm-hmm. that Favreau and maybe Abrams are kind of involved in retconning a story arc from Empire. Okay. When Luke leaves Dagobah, mm-hmm. Ben says. This boy was our only hope. And Yoda follows it up with, there's another. Mm-hmm. What if they're retconning it that this baby instead creature, of mm-hmm. instead of Leia, instead mm-hmm. of even Rey, this is the other that Yoda was talking about? Mm-hmm. Because we, episode two of The Mandalorian, we find out the Force is strong with this child. Mm-hmm. So all that we know is it's a Yoda type character. Mm-hmm with an incredibly strong handle on the Force. Mm-hmm. And an incredibly strong handle on napping afterwards. Well, it takes a lot out of you, apparently. I, it, right. I mean, I, it took me a lot out of just watching the episode. Um, so, then, okay, so here's here's my speculation. Episode 3, you get an awesome battle between oh the Mandalore and... With a rocketeer callback, too. At the very end, when he's yeah, flying when he alongside would, and he gives him the salute. The salute and he's yeah. like, I can get me one of those. I'm like, yeah, you do, <laughs> and so do I. Uh, okay, so, okay your so, theory. so here's what I got. Dr. Pershing, the doctor that comes in when the Mandalorian is getting his mm-hmm. job from the, from, um, I forget what the guy's name is, but the client, mm-hmm. he goes in there. Uh, Werner Herzog, that, that actor. Uh, I love his voice. Bounty hunting is a complicated running out profession. Of time. I know, but it's, it's uh, Okay, um, Dr. Pershing has a patch on his arm. His clothing looks like the same clothing that is worn by the Kaminoans on Camino. So he is a cloning doctor, is my guess. My guess is the Empire has some kind of plan. Palpatine had some kind of a plan to get himself back to life, get himself a body, get himself healed, whatever. Um, and they're going to use clones to try to do that. Hence why they want the Baby Yoda type character. Because he already you see him the first few times, like he's trying to reach up and heal the Mandalorian when he's yeah. hurt. Mm-hmm. So you can tell he's got some kind of propensity for healing. They also live a very long time. So my thought is Palpatine had some kind of a plan that if I die... I know about this child, or I know something. I want you to find it. I want you to use it. I want you to clone it. I want you to like somehow create me a body that is steeped in the Force, but long living, so that I can come back. Now, here's what I'm thinking: is I don't know if we'll see this Yoda thing grow up at any point. I don't know if we'll see it ever again. I hope he shows up in Episode Nine. Well, see, there's that's the all thing. I'm saying. My thought is that's not all I'm saying. That, we well, keep going. I know. My thought is that by the Mandalorian rescuing him and taking him away from all that. That's why it takes Palpatine from five years after Return of the Jedi all the way to jumping forward, whatever it is, 25, 30 years, to Episode Nine. Like, that's why he can't come back until then, is because his major plan The Mandalorian was foiled his plan. He foiled his, his plan. plan, and so it took longer to come back. That's, my, that's also my thought, because every time you meet this Imperial guy, the whatever, I forget his name. The client. Um, the client. Um, it plays Kylo Ren's music. It's got that kind of First Order mm-hmm. kind of vibe to it. So that's that's my thing. I think this ties into. I think it ties I, back I to the hope, Clone Wars. I hope that they're using it as a tool to help tie the older trilogies mm-hmm. to this new trilogy. I think it ties back to the Clone Wars because I think you're going to see some. St- I think you're going to see some Easter eggs in the Siege of Mandalore episodes from the Clone Wars cartoon when they do the final season of it coming up this Which next year. I started. And I think I started watching into, the cartoon. It'll tie into episode nine as it relates to the overall story arc yeah. of the movies. Yeah, and I'm trying to watch the episodes in chronological order. Uh huh. 
I don't know if I'll have enough time to do all that. You're not going to have enough time. So I, I, I started to, I, to try to do that, too. I may just skip that. Yeah. But, anywho. Yeah. So that's The Mandalorian, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, man. Cat just came back into the I, room. I did. Timing was good. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm so excited. When you watch this, I, I just expect my phone to explode. Yeah. Whoa, like now I know what you're this, talking about. And yeah, no, I mean, even, even no, when you see this, even before Regardless you, of, yeah. of listening to this conversation, right. yeah. when you finally when you watch, watch Mandalorian, our phones are going to explode. So awesome. We're going to feel Pat. So I, I, feel like, I feel like it will be like, it'll be like the first time you saw the Millennium Falcon in The Force Awakens. Right. This will be when I was so excited for Rogue One, mm-hmm. but it was just the motion picture art, and then there was a whole yes. trailer that like, right. blew my mind. You're like, oh, guys, that was amazing. So, I was like, what was amazing? The poster. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Cool. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I'm very okay. much looking forward to yeah. it. Okay. All right. All right. Now we've got like five minutes for the Little right. Mermaid. Little Mermaid, here you go. I want to be so part, of, part of the world, right? Yeah. I started singing part like I, I started yep. all the Interestingly songs. enough, that song is part of the story of the saving of Disney animation. Mm-hmm. And I have a funny quick story about that, about the saving of the Disney animation. And okay. I mentioned to the kids, I'm like, hey, we're doing the Little Mermaid podcast. And um, we're, you know, and I said, this is the this is the one that uh, kind of saved Disney. And we had just seen Frozen 2. And all of a sudden from the backseat, I got, wait, Disney's in trouble? I'm like, no, no, it's fine. And they're like, oh, so wait, the pod, like Frozen 2 saved Disney? No, not so much. It was just the animation thing. It, this was back in the day. They're like, wait, Disney's like losing money on animation? I'm like, guys, Disney well, is okay and not losing any money anywhere well, hold in on. place. Hold on. Anyways, so it was fun that the kids were reacting. Disney actually it. is in a little bit of trouble because oh. Galaxy's Edge has way underperformed. Really? Way underperformed, and they are losing money on these new theme park areas. The hope is that with um, the Rise of the Resistance attractions opening mm-hmm. in Florida on December 5th and California in January, it's going to bring the people in. Mm-hmm. But I've been checking wait times for the uh, Millennium Falcon ride, which mm-hmm. has been reported to be kind of underwhelming. Okay. Um, I don't care. Wait times on a daily basis, you're standing in line 30, 35, 40 minutes in an ongoing line. So you're not even standing there. Mm-hmm. You're pretty much walking in and you're experiencing all around you, getting on the ride, and then you're done. Yeah. Disney's hoping that they, they can rework some things and figure some things out yeah. to start getting the, the, the people in into the parks. Anywho, so Disney's not completely out of the water, right. but in terms of movie making, they're doing just fine. They're just fine. They'll, they'll open up one coffer and pay for the, you yeah. know, I mean, it's, I know that takes a lot of work. I don't want to just dismissively say, oh, they'll figure it out. But since they own the world. John's doing okay. math. One, one plus two plus two plus one. Plus All right. Plus one, one plus one plus two plus, plus one. one. No, I was trying to figure out how many times I can ride the Millennium Falcon ride in a row in a single day. If the wait times are only half an hour. Yeah, I mean. It's, I will just tell my family goodbye. Yeah. And the contingency, the contingencies, contingencies. Wow, I'm talking judicial system. Judicial system. The contingencies they, they put into place for mm-hmm. opening Galaxy's Edge at both mm-hmm. theme parks that they haven't even come close to needing mm-hmm. has been a little frightening on the business end mm-hmm. of Disney. Um, so, hope, from what I'm hearing, they're retooling some things. And so here we go, friends. Replace the Resistance and First Order stuff with Mandalorian. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. They'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm sure they will. Um, but the problems of Galaxy's Edge are mm-hmm. a story for another time. It's yeah. time for The Little Mermaid. 
The Little Mermaid was released on the 17th of November 1989 with a rating of G and a runtime of 1 hour 23 minutes. Directors for this one were Ron Clements and John Musker. Clements also did Aladdin and Moana. Musker also did Aladdin and Moana. Producers were Howard Ashman, who died in 1991, and John Musker. Ashman also did Beauty and the Beast. Musker also did Treasure Planet. Writers on this one, lots of different writers. Uh, John Musker, Ron Clements, uh, Hans Christian Andersen, of course, has a credit in here. Howard Ashman did additional dialogue. Garrett Graham did additional dialogue. Samuel Graham did additional dialogue. And Chris Hubble did additional dialogue. Uh, Musker also did writing for Hercules. Clements did The Black Cauldron. Ashman did Little Shop of Horrors. Garrett Graham did Oliver and Company. Samuel Graham did Oliver and Company. And Hubble did Oliver and Company. Cinematography was done by Mark A. Hester, who did the film editing. He also did Aladdin and How to Train Your Dragon movies. Music was done by Alan Menken, who also did Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. Budget was $40 million. Box office was $233 million. Reviews, the critics gave it, Rotten Tomatoes critics give it a 93%, Rotten Tomatoes audience an 88%, IMDb gives it a 76 Letterboxd a 74 and CinemaScore did not have a score for this one. René Aubergeois, hmm, I know I always mess this one, René Aubergeois, I think, Blais Poisson, uh, played Chef, <clears throat> excuse me, played Chef Louis, he was in Boston Legal and Star Trek DS9, uh, Christopher Daniel Barnes played Prince Eric, he was in the Brady Bunch movie and Spider-Man the Animated Series that ran from 94 to 98, Jodie Benson played Ariel, she was in the Toy Story movies and Wreck-It Ralph 2, Pat Carroll played Ursula, she was in Freedom Writers and Songcatcher. Patty Edwards, who died in 1999, played Flotsam and Jetsam. She was in Hercules, uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Uh, Buddy Hackett played, oh, uh, died in 2003, played Scuttle, was in Scrooged and the Love Bug. Jason Marin played Flounder. He was in Back to the Future and Rockadoodle. Kenneth Mars, who died in 2011, played Triton. He was in The Producers, the 1967 version, and Young Frankenstein. Edie McClurg played Carlotta. She was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Will Ryan played the seahorse. He was in The Land Before Time and An American Tale. Ben Wright, who died in 1989, played Grimsby. He was in The Sound of Music and 101 Dalmatians. And Samuel Wright played Sebastian. He was in Dinosaur and House of Mouse. Here is the trailer, and we'll be back in just a moment. For over 50 years, Walt Disney has turned classic stories into classic animated motion pictures. Now the tradition continues as one of the world's greatest stories becomes the newest Disney motion picture classic, The Little Mermaid. I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them dancing. Up where they walk, up where they run. It's the story of Ariel, a beautiful young mermaid who wants to become human. He's very handsome, isn't he? I don't know. He looks kind of hairy and slobbery to me. Not that one. The other one. And she'll strike a bargain with a powerful sea witch. Have we got a deal? To make her dream come true. What I want from you is... Your voice. My voice? You've got it, sweet cakes. Ariel's been turned into a human. Have you lost your senses completely? The human world, it's a mess. Now, the Little Mermaid is exploring the mysteries of her strange new world. What's your name? What's wrong? You can't speak? But to regain her voice, the sea witch's spell must be broken. Move it! We got an emergency here! Broken by the kiss of true love. Kiss the girl. 
It's Walt Disney Pictures' 28th full-length animated motion picture, featuring dozens of delightful new Disney characters and seven magical new songs. This holiday season, share the wonder and magic of a very special entertainment event. A fantastic adventure above the waves and under the sea. Under the sea! Under the sea! Walt Disney Pictures, The Little Mermaid. Let's dissect The Little Mermaid. Live it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> I, just, I feel like going to Red Lobster for lunch. <laughs> okay. Let me, okay. Let me start by saying this. Please do. No pun intended when I typed up my notes, but looking at it now, mm-hmm. hilarious. Disney animation was floundering. <laughs> I, I see what, at, I see what the, you did there. At the time that I typed it's, this, I wasn't even thinking that. Um, Something's a little fishy about that. <laughs> Disney animation was found, Disney animation was in a horrible spot mm-hmm. in the eighties. This was considered the dark ages or the dark age of Disney animation. Mm-hmm. They could not secure a hit movie. Mm-hmm. Starting with the Aristocats in the seventies, including then Robin Hood, Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, The Rescuers, The Fox and the Hound, The Black Cauldron, The Great Mouse Detective, Oliver and Company. The only one of those that was seemingly somewhat successful was, I believe, the rescuers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everything else was failing, and they had no way or no idea of how to turn this around. Um, so during this time, Michael Eisner is brought in by uh, Roy Disney, the nephew of Walt, to kind of become the chairman of the Disney company. Big wig at Paramount, knows a lot about movie making. He steps in to take over. Frank Wells is brought in from Warner Brothers as the COO of Disney. The two of them together are an exceptional team. And they keep uh, keep each other in checks and balances and seemingly start to work to turn Disney around. On the back burner is Disney Animation. Roy Disney, again the nephew of Walt, says to Mike Leisner, can I have the animation studio? Can I kind of work with animation and see what we can do there? Eisner and Wells, not having any background in animation. Okay. Whatever. Why not? Whatever. Yeah, whatever you want. Probably going to sell it anyway, so go ahead. One of Eisner's other first appointees is Jeffrey Katzenberg, also from Paramount, and he puts Katzenberg in charge of the film division of Disney. And with that, he's tasked, really... Fix the mess with animation. It is an awful mess. Animation got so looked over and so not thought about. Like these guys, they weren't animation people. They didn't get it. They didn't get the history. In the mid-80s, the animation department gets kicked out of their building, the same building they've been using since making Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Mm -hmm. The history of this building. The hallways where Walt walked. Mm -hmm. They get kicked out of the building. Building gets renovated to turn into offices for the movie division and some of their bigger movie stars they're recording in the 80s. Robin Williams, Bette Midler, Lily Tomlin. Mm-hmm. And you have this animation department sitting there going, uh, I, um, are we out of a job? <laughs> Literally. Mm-hmm. 
animators didn't know what was happening to their jobs. They get shoved, shuffled into a warehouse off property. And I wonder what they're working on. You know, like what, like if there's no new shows and programming, I, I, I wonder what, do you know what I'm saying? They're work, at this time, they're working on Great Mouse Detective. Oh, so there was a project in the works well, as this? kind of. Okay. They're, you know, they're, they have things to do. Okay. They're trying to figure out some things. Um, Black Cauldron, monumental flop at the box office. So they're pitching ideas. Great Mouse Detective is a story that gets pitched, and uh, Katzenberg and, and Eisner are at the pitch meeting, never really having been in a pitch meeting for animation before. Mm-hmm. So they're being talked through storyboards, and this meeting lasts a couple hours, and they take them through the whole story. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go talk about it. And as they're leaving this meeting, the two of them have a conversation. You know what in the hell we just saw? No, I really don't. Well, we got to pay these guys whether they work on something or not, so may as well pay them to work on something. Hence, Great Mouse Detective. Okay. Originally, this movie was supposed to be called uh, Basil of Baker Street. Okay. There was another, uh, another person brought in, Pete Schneider, brought in as the VP of animation. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Pete Schneider does is he decides to rename this movie. He sends out a memo. It's no longer Basil Baker Street. It's The Great Mouse Detective. Basil Baker Street, it's going to be too confusing for our audiences. Great Mouse Detective. Well, this upset animation people quite a bit. So a fake memo circulated as if it was from him saying, we're now going to rename all of our movies. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is now going to be called uh, The Girl Who Gets Helped by Seven Little People in the Forest. And there there was another another one. Pinocchio is now going to be called The Wooden Boy Who Becomes Real. Well, this pissed him off quite a great deal. And he's, you know, knocking heads. Who did this? I demand to know. Animation department sticks together. We're not saying. Um, Now, as this is going on, Who Framed Roger Rabbit starts getting talked about. And Spielberg's involved. So now Disney really wants to to get in bed with this because Spielberg was involved with uh, Land Before Time. And... Those movies are being are getting success, successful or reaching success, whereas Disney isn't. But they outsource the animation. They don't do the animation for Who Framed Roger Rabbit at Disney. It's done in a studio in London. Well, again, this is another nail in the coffin of Disney animation. Why don't you trust us? Why aren't you letting us do what it is we do? There's a lot of uh, turning over of the department. You got an uh, older group of animators, younger group of animators, different philosophies going on. They seemingly can't come together. One of the biggest problems uh, that happened was, I don't remember which Disney movie it was, which animated movie it was that came out, but it was beaten at the box office by the Care Bears movie. And that's when Disney was like, we may need to be done with this. I think it might have been Black Cauldron. Could have been. Yeah. Could have been. Um, So they're sitting around coming up with ideas. What do we do? What story do we want to tell? And someone throws out, what about The Little Mermaid? Let's tell this story of The Little Mermaid. Yeah, why not? We have nothing else to do. If we're going to go down, may as well go down fighting mm-hmm. with something. And I read somewhere they'd owned the rights to that since the 40s. So here's what's interesting. So they had it. like, And they would think they were going to work on it in the 40s, but they shelved it. Walt had his eye on a lot of properties mm-hmm. from the get-go, yeah. from Snow White days. A lot of properties that came along later on, even after his death. 
Walt wanted to work on. And the time, he, he, here's what's fascinating about Walt. He lived in a world 10 years, at least 10 years, ahead of his time. And he saw writing on the wall where no one else did. And he knew, now's not the right time. I want to do this story, now's not the right time. This story I want, now's not the right time. And that applies to all of the theme parks. That applies to everything that he did. He knew how to pick his moments. So they decide, let's work on Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. Why not? But there's something special about this film. And this is what I wanted to talk about. This is why I wanted to, to wait for this episode. is because this movie revitalizes Disney animation. So what is it about this movie that works? Why is this one successful after years of failing animated movies? Well, and it's funny because it's like, this was a smash hit. Absolutely. I remember watching this. Now I'm trying to think of, well, it's the 89 movie, mm -hmm. and so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of the age that I was, and, you know, I remember seeing it. I remember the songs. I remember this, right? I don't remember any Disney, like The Great Mouse Detective, mm -hmm. Black Cauldron, all those that you mentioned. They're, I, for, they're forgettable. Well, I don't, I don't even know if I saw them. So, I mean, this one, this one was a... This one was a smash hit. I, I, all those you just listed, I saw them on video. Okay. Like Black Cauldron, we might have even had a copy of that one, mm -hmm. but I know that we rented it a couple times on video, and Great Mouse Detective, and some of those others, we, we'd always rent those on, on video. We'd go to Blockbuster and, and rent them there. Um, this is the first Disney movie that I can remember going to see in the theater. Like, of all those other ones, I don't recall if we saw them in the theater or not, but this one I remember vividly going to the theater and seeing this together with the family. Um, and I don't know. I, it just it's, it seems like this one, maybe the music is, maybe the songs are of, of a better well, quality. That, I, or that's definitely part of it. Yeah, is it's the music is more memorable. Were the other one and I, I, I everything and I'm glad you said mm -hmm. that and everything I was going to say. Oh well, there's memorable characters. Mm -hmm. There's memorable. And I'm like, I don't know. We saw Black Cauldron for the podcast, mm -hmm. and I read the book, mm -hmm. but I didn't see the movie until we did the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, out, I, of, out of that list of movies. Oliver and Company is the only one that is yeah. actually a movie musical. Okay, yeah. that was going to be my question. Right. Is, the, is oth the others have some songs in them, mm -hmm. but nothing where you could, would look at it and say, well, clearly it follows the format of a, the Disney animated movie. Of a, yeah, and this this seems to be the So this is part, this is part of the success of this movie is they go back to what they know, mm -hmm. including music to tell the story. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. With that, which is what they tried to do with Oliver and Company, but they went the rock and roll route. They brought in Billy Joel, and they had Bette Midler to uh, help write and perform. With this, you have Al uh, Alan Menken and the uh, the late Howard Ashman. Howard Ashman is a Broadway guy. He's a Broadway composer. He's a Broadway show writer. He was heavily involved with a lot of hits on Broadway, including Little Shop of Horrors. I think, for me, that's what helps sell this music is you have a guy that knows music, yeah. that knows using music to tell stories, which is what Broadway is all about. Right. You have him steering the direction of the music in this movie. And you have a lot of people saying he had the same energy as Walt. Mm -hmm. It was like seeing Walt living in a different person. So you have, okay, the great man theory of history. You had the right guy that was in the right place at the right, you know, to, to make a thing. But then also, and I'm going to defer to your knowledge and skill, obviously, Broadway and Disney and all that, 
is this an, a revitalization of Disney animated movies, or is this the first animated Broadway musical? And were movies in the past, like, I don't know, were other Disney movies in the past animated Broadway musicals? Other Disney's in, in the past, other Disney's, other Disney movies in the past, animated movies, relied on music to tell the story, okay. to help progress the story, okay. which is what musicals do. Okay. Snow White, okay. Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. What do all those stories have in common? They're all fairy tales. Right. That's the next piece of this puzzle. Mm -hmm. Little Mermaid goes back to be, let's tell a fairy tale. Okay. Let's tell the story right. of a fairy tale. That's what we do. Okay. As, so, as a Broadway musical. So now you have the right type of story with the right type of person leading the music to help tell part of that story. Which it didn't after Little Mermaid came out, wasn't it? Rescuers Down Under, and it did not do well because it was not a musical. Well, I don't want to say because it wasn't a musical, but I would imagine that as people, well, if people saw Little Mermaid and they're like, "Whoa, this is great! So this is amazing!" Then the next movie that comes out has, I believe, no songs. Well, written so for it, and then Rescuers like, Down Under didn't uh. didn't do well. <laughs> right, it underperformed the first weekend. And Katzenberg, still not really understanding animation, says, "We're not putting any more money into this. Let's pull all advertising for this movie." So he didn't even give the movie a chance to rebound. No. So you have the great man, the great person leading it. Mm -hmm. We're returning to the formula of the animated Broadway musical as opposed to animated movie. Mm -hmm. um, and, and now, I don't know if this is going to change, but you got to have the guys up on top or the people up on top that are supporting it and saying... You need the buy-in. Yeah. We're mm -hmm. going to support what you're doing. You might be a little crazy, but so we're So the, the driving force of this movie ended up being Howard Ashman, okay. this composer and explaining how these songs were going to work and why they were important to the movie. So in the pitch meeting, you have him, and you have he and Alan Menken playing the music to help tell the story. And Ashman is this great idea guy. So much so, um, he's the one that came up with the idea of uh, Sebastian being Jamaican. They had the crap character in mind, and he was like, why don't make him Jamaican? Wasn't he going to be British? Yeah, I think it was going to be British. British. Be British yeah. um, like, let's make him Jamaican. Whole other type of movie, or whole, a whole other type of music you can introduce because in the movie. And you get to his uh, his song "Under the Sea." Mm -hmm. So, and he can you you can use underwater creatures as instruments, right? And you can feature different under, uh, different types of fish and animals as part of this ensemble of music to celebrate what you have under the sea. Now our choices are opening doors. Mm -hmm. For so more Howard, awesomeness. Howard Ashman was a visionary, That's so cool. and he used music to show it. That's awesome. Gentlemen, I hate to say it, but I must take my leave of you. I look forward to uh, hearing the rest of the discussion on The Little Mermaid, especially, and I've said this before, but Jeff, your insights on Broadway and Disney are very awesome. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. Glad we got a chance to discuss. Hey, good to see you. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. everyone. John, glad everything is yeah. going well. Happy Thanksgiving. And best to all the family. Yours too. And we'll catch up with you guys more later. Looking forward to hearing the rest of the comments. Yeah. So, now you have the right people working on this this mm -hmm. story to tell. Unfortunately, you still don't have the buy-in from Katzenberg. Katzenberg still doesn't get it. So much so that they do a, an unfinished screening of this movie with a, a test audience. And part of your world doesn't work. And Katzenberg says, let's cut it from the movie. Just get rid of it. It didn't work. <laughs> and it took a number of people fighting with Katzenberg to keep 
this song in there because everyone else realized this is the song. Mm -hmm. This is the, the third or fourth song in a show. If you look at how Broadway shows are put together, mm -hmm. this is the longing song, mm -hmm. the wanting the song. I want song. This yeah. is the song that makes this person or this character who you root for mm -hmm. in the story. You have to keep this in there. Mm -hmm. um, Glenn, Glenn Keane was the animator who finally was the one who got Katzenberg to leave it. And his argument was, it's not the song, it's everything surrounding it that we have to fix. Glenn Keane, who's also the son of the late Bill Keane, who was the Family Circle cartoonist. Mm -hmm. Fun story there. Um, so you have everyone finally getting that buy-in to tell this story. You have animation that looks gorgeous. Mm -hmm. You have characters that aren't caricatures, <clears throat> but more human-like. The, the hum, especially the human characters. They look like humans. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the animals, the fish, while a little exaggerated, all look like fish. Flounder looks like a fish. Sebastian looks like a crab. Scuttle looks like a seagull. Uh, Flotsam and Jetsam look like eels. Ursula looks like an octopus. So there's that sense of realism to telling the fairy tale story. All of that is what comes together to make The Little Mermaid the success that it became. The thing that said, animation's not dead yet. We've been doing it wrong. Yeah. So that's what I got for you. Now we can have yeah. a discussion, a brief discussion, yeah. given our time restraints yeah, at this point. Yeah. But now I, this, we went to go see this movie. It was a few years ago. It, it, they put it back out on video, um, or they put it back out in theaters. Maybe it was for the 25th anniversary. It might have been. Um, I think they put it back out around about the time. It was very close to the time of my daughter Nora's birthday. And we just happened to look and see that I think the weekend of her birthday, they, uh, Little Mermaid was going to be in theaters. And we're like, well, we're going. So we went. And we already like this movie. Like We've seen this movie before. We like this movie. Um, my wife and I have, we, we don't have all the songs memorized, but we have Les Poissons memorized. That's one mm -hmm. of our favorite songs in the whole thing. Um, and went to go see this in the theater. That was probably, uh, of all the movies I've seen in the theater, that's one of the ones that I feel like was the most fun because people in the families in the theater were singing along to all the songs. Like it was like you were at a show. It was like you were at a concert. Mm -hmm. And every time a song came on, so that's why to me it's it's the music that really made this movie. The animation is beautiful, like you said too. The music but is the emotional. Music, yeah. And that's that's what they got so right. That's mm -hmm. what that's what Ashman brought to the table. The music is so emotional that you can't help but be compelled by it. Yeah. Whether whether it's it, it's an up or a down, that part of your world song is is, I mean it, it's such a driving force and it's such a great uh, a great moment in the film yeah. because of how well it's controlled. Mm -hmm. um, you get a lot of the want and longing and anticipation mm -hmm. from the character of Ariel in a very subdued way and you know telling us that she's had to keep these desires so secret but they're so huge and there's so much of what she wants mm -hmm. that this is the struggle for her mm -hmm. if that doesn't make a compelling character I don't know what does mm -hmm. and then you have the other characters that help really round out this you know this story you have Sebastian as the wanting to do the right thing loyal to the king wanting to protect. You have Flounder that's willing to do what he has to to help his, his best friend. You have Scuttle who is the comedic relief. Mm -hmm. You have the overbearing father who you get moments of him 
wanting to do what's right, but he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And then you have the villain, a great villain archetype Mm -hmm. in Ursula. It's been a long time since we've seen a villain who has the darkness, but the charm. There's something charming about her that allows Ariel to go to her. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like the the Horn King from Black Cauldron, who's terrifying. Yeah. There's something about this character that's sneaky and and underhanded and charismatic that brings Ariel to her and provides Ariel with a sense of comfort that she hasn't felt or had prior. Mm-hmm. I will say, the one of the last times that we watched The Little Mermaid, the... Now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Yes, along with everything else in the <laughs> universe. Um, and and normally, I, normally, I don't key in on some of these things, but this last time, the character of... And maybe because this was one of the first times, in the, I've watched it a couple times in the last... 10 to 15 years, and maybe because this is the first time that I'm watching it as a father, Triton bothers me. Like, he makes me just his, when you call him an overbearing mm-hmm. father, this last time, well, right, and this last time watching it, I'm like, oh, yikes. <laughs> I, I don't know that I quite, as a kid, picked up on, this is pretty intense, like, you're a kid watching this. I almost worry about a kid watching this and seeing a father reacting in that way. And and I, I, I want to be careful how I say this because the first thought in my head was it almost acts like it's demonizing parents. And I, I want to be careful saying that because I don't really think that that's Disney's intention is to demonize parents. But at the same time, interesting when Triton has his you know massive fit and starts destroying her stuff, and I, I think even like the background changes doesn't change the like for a moment does it change to like almost fiery colors and he gets very you know shadows cover him and he's very dark and scary and he looks like a villain at that point and I'm like yikes I didn't pick up on this from before. a story <laughs> from a storytelling standpoint that that's helping Ariel connect with kids right one of the biggest uh, audience demographics and, and pushes her into Ursula's arms later on one of the biggest demographic audiences that Disney lost mm-hmm. was their teenagers yeah and they wanted to get their teenagers having, back. Having her be 16. and Having her be 16 and having a father that doesn't understand her. Yeah. Who, what teenager's not going to understand that yeah. and connect with that? Yeah. I mean, that that's the equation right. right there. From a storytelling standpoint, also keep in mind, you have a father that's raising kids by himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mom's gone. Right. Assuming that Ursula had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. That's my assumption. Ursula had something to do with... Well, I thought she ran off with a sea turtle, but... Yeah, no. Maybe. Well, maybe that could be, too. Yeah. Um, it's those sea turtles from Finding Nemo. Oh. <laughs> dude. Um, <laughs> totally stole your wife, dude. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> That's a different I movie. mean, So you have, you have the single father trying his best with seven daughters to mm-hmm. figure out how to raise them. The other six seem to be doing okay. Mm-hmm. It's this. That's the youngest one that he's, he's struggling with, mm-hmm. who has this desire for so much more that... No, you know what? Mom, now just think about the story. Mom was killed by man, by humans. Oh, that's right, that's right. That's why he doesn't want Ariel to go up yeah. uh, to the human world yeah. and stay away from the surface. Yeah. It's dangerous up there. Yeah. And it's implied that's what that's where mom went. Mm-hmm. Mom got too close and something happened to her. Yeah. Um, so, I, but I get what you're saying about mm-hmm. the dad becomes frightening yeah. to a point. That scene when he's destroying all of her stuff 
in her, what are we going to call that, a grotto or whatever it is, uh, where she's collected all of it's her. It's her trove. Yeah, yeah. Where she's collected all of her, you know, above world. Treasures the, untold. The, the, right. How many wonders can one cavern hold? <laughs> and who's it's and what's it's plenty. Um, or no, who's it's and what's it's galore. galore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when he's going through and destroying everything, and that scene in particular, this last time watching it, I'm going, whoa, that's. Yikes, buddy! <laughs> so, is, so is it just a fr- is it a frustrated <laughs> father, a or is it Disney really trying to say teens? We, under- I, I we, we understand both. where you're coming yeah, from. I think it's both. Um, and watching it from the perspective of a parent, I'm like, yikes! Is that? I hope I don't ever do that to my mm-hmm. kids. Like, if I get angry about something, I, you know, and this is an extreme example. Mm-hmm. If I ever take a trident to my kids' stuff, then first of all, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> where did I get the trident? <laughs> You killed a guy with a trident. I saw it. I want to lay low. Lay low for a while, like under the water. Um, yeah, no, that was that was that scene in particular was the one thing that struck me this time as I'm seeing this differently than I've ever seen it before. Because I'm watching it now as a as an adult and as a father. But I think that's so the scene that, get, that gets the teenagers well, I know, on board. Because I'm not connecting with the 16 year old Ariel. I'm sitting there going, "Oh my god, would you just quit whining?" <laughs> like, <laughs> we get it. You want to put your phone away and quit whining? And, <laughs> yeah. No, Sebastian's my buddy. Like he's my favorite. I feel like sometimes, like his. I think I think Sebastian has a lot of struggle. Yeah. Because he wants to do right by the king. Right. But he want. I think really he wants to do by do right by Ariel. Right. And I think he gets that the king is overbearing. And what I love about some of the Triton scenes is after he has his episodes mm-hmm. of anger. And Sebastian, like Sebastian, Sebastian's there, and and you see the Triton struggling. Yeah. God. Am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. I think he even says it. Did I do the right thing? Right. Did I handle that right? Right. And it's like, no, you your, didn't. Your Majesty. But um, you know, mm-hmm. Sebastian tries to be the voice of reason. Right. For both of them. Yeah. Um, Which is why he's the perfect person to follow her up to the surface world and mm-hmm. watch and, over her in the meantime. And yeah. Yeah. Well, not only that, but he's the only one that can. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Flounder would die. It's not going to work out so well for Flounder. Scuttles an idiot. Little seahorse guy. And, yeah. Um, the other really dark moment for me is the end with mm-hmm. Ursula. Yeah. And not only Ursula, like, getting frighteningly huge mm-hmm. and really overbearing, but her death. Yeah. They show her... Getting impaled. Getting impaled. <laughs> yeah. Keep in mind, Disney animated movies don't show the death... Correct. ...of the villain. Yeah. Everything is always implied. Mm-hmm. Not this time. <laughs> this is the first time. Like, they animated mm-hmm. the mast of that ship mm-hmm. sticking out of the back of her body. Mm-hmm. What the crap? <laughs> uh-huh. But there's so much buy-in into the movie at that point yeah. that you don't bump on that when you're mm-hmm. watching. Right. I remember going to see this in the theater, and when the movie ended, I just sat there thinking, that was an experience. Mm-hmm. All the other the, the Disney movies that came out before that at the time were, I, I didn't even go see Oliver and Company. Mm-hmm. There, there was no connection there. Can you get away with that, though? And I'm, I'm jumping back to says Sleeping Beauty, where at the end he's uh, fighting the dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he does stab the dragon with his sword. And you do see that. Is it because Ursula is huge and monstrous and she's not regular person size? Maybe. If she's regular person size, is it much more traumatizing for kids or someone to look at that and see, they just killed a person? Whereas if she's this massive, bigger than life right. monster, is it more like no? Nah, they just killed Godzilla. You know, it's, you don't. Yeah, that, I mean, you don't humanize. For lack of a better term, you don't humanize. That could be, or it could be just much. part of the mindset of for going down. Let's, go, let, let's go down big. Yeah, yeah. You know, if they're if if Disney animation is 
banking, really, literally banking on this movie right. to be successful. Yeah. You know, do you just put it all out there and see what happens? Yeah. Well, clearly that's kind of what they did. Yeah. yeah. And to their credit and to their good fortune, it worked. Because mm-hmm. if this movie didn't work, I don't necessarily know that there would have been a Rescuers Down Under. Oh, right. Yeah. I don't. And well, they probably would have just and there's certainly there certainly wouldn't have been a Beauty and the Beast. No. And Aladdin. You wouldn't. And you wouldn't. And Lion King. Pixar. And you wouldn't. Those, like it, it yeah. could have ended everything that was Disney animation. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it worked allowed for the so-called flop of Rescuers Down Under. Mm-hmm. Going further down the the timeline, Beauty and the Beast, they brought Ashman back in. Mm-hmm. After. Uh, Little Mermaid won its Oscars. Ashman says to Alan Menken, "When you're back in New York, I have to talk to you. Mm-hmm. We have, or we, you know, we need to talk. Let's do this again sometime." <laughs> no, it wasn't about no? that. Okay. Uh, so a couple days later, they meet, and Menken says, what, "What's going on?" And Ashman says, "Well, I, I'm assuming you know. Know what?" Ashman says, "I'm HIV positive." Oh. So they have a conversation there about he's not going to live long. Mm-hmm. But they talk him back into coming back for Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. And it's his some of his visions that help craft the story arc of the Disney animated. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we get into the story? How do we begin? Yeah. Ashwin says, you show the young prince as a brat. Mm-hmm. You make him hateable. Mm-hmm. You have to make him hateable so the redemption is that much sweeter at the end. And they take it to the New York Film Festival, unfinished. Mm-hmm black and white sketches Mm -hmm. and they showed at the New York Film Festival to a standing ovation Mm -hmm. and they uh, immediately afterwards they get in the cab and they go to the hospital where Howard lay dying in a hospital Mm -hmm. he lost his vision Uh, he couldn't see anything he was down to about 80 pounds and they get there and uh, Howard's mom pulls back the bed sheet and they can see the Beauty and the Beast sweatshirt that Howard's wearing and they tell him all about the reception that this movie got Mm -hmm. And Alan Mank, or one of the guys, as they're leaving the room, leans to Howard Ashman and says, it whispers in his ear, we did it. Who'd have thunk we could have done it? And what if uh, Ashman's last words ever spoken were, I thought we could. <laughs> yeah. And a few days later, passed away. Mm-hmm. Never getting to see the finished product of mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast. But this man that was such a visionary and, and such a knowledge source for music mm-hmm. did the same thing with that movie that he did with uh, with The Little Mermaid using the, the music to correctly tell and advance the story mm-hmm. and in, in Beauty and the Beast case and we'll talk about this I'm sure more when we get to that movie in a couple years but you have Belle very opening song that's the I want song mm-hmm. I want more than this life right. I'm putting it all out there <clears throat> I want more that's the formula that works. It's the fairy tale story. That's why Little Mermaid was successful. They went, um, they woke Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. That's where the title of this documentary on Disney Plus came from, Waking yeah. Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Revitalizing that thing to tell the story and be successful. It's a brilliant documentary. Yeah. It, everyone, if you have Disney it. Plus, you have to watch this. Okay. And it's a hard look at the failures as well as, as the successes. Mm-hmm. And you hear from Eisenberg, uh, or Michael Eisner. You hear from Eisner, this was a mistake. Mm-hmm. This thing didn't work. We didn't know what we were doing. You hear from Katzenberg, I didn't know what I was up against with animation. 
We didn't know what we were doing. We were greenlighting things because we had to pay these guys anyway, so may as well make them work on something. Right. And I didn't realize that they had a big falling out and uh, couldn't work together after a while, especially after the announcement when Roy and Roy Disney and uh, Michael Eisner announced to one of the uh, animated teams, might have been after Mermaid, maybe Beating the Beast, we're giving you, we're building you a brand new animation building on property. Katzenberg didn't know anything about it. They never told him about it. (laughs) And that was a big slap in the face to him. See, that wouldn't go over well. Um, So there was a lot of dissension amongst the Mm higher-ups, but the animators stayed true to what their mission was and what they wanted to do. And because of their heart and their drive, they were able to create a movie that worked, that was super successful Mm -hmm. in The Little Mermaid, that revitalized the new renaissance of Disney animation. So that's kind of the story behind The Little Mermaid and why it was such an important film for the Disney company. Because without it, there may there probably wouldn't be a Disney animation wing yeah. at this point. Yeah. All right. Well, I know we got to wrap up soon, but I do have. I'm going to throw out two questions to you. One may be a simple question. The other one maybe not so simple. Uh, let's start with the simple question. Do you have a favorite song from this movie? All of them. Okay. Um, <laughs> if I made you pick one, if I was that kind of jerk and I made you pick one. Well, you are that kind of jerk. I know. It's good to be back. I like Under the Sea. Okay. I think it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I think that's where they really got to experiment with using music in the movie again. But my go-to song, ah, Kiss the Girl, is a really, really good song. They're all good, that's... Yeah. <laughs> that's but a, I think given. the emotional impact of Part of Your World, Okay. I think that may be my go-to song in this movie. Okay. It is the perfect song to advance the story and... It's like the, the, the icing on the cake of the setup. Mm-hmm. It's the final piece of the setup of the movie. Mm-hmm. This is what you need to know. Yeah. So I think it would have to be part of your world. Okay. What about you? I, I read... Other uh, than Les Fossons. Well, actually, that's that one. Is that your favorite? <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah. Just just the humor of it, that entire scene. John Stamos so, did not do a good job with that in the Little Mermaid Live thing that happened I didn't recently. even watch it. I heard all kinds of bad things about it. It was Little an Mermaid experiment Live, that, that worth trying, I think, because it was mostly the animated film, okay. and then a lot of the musical sequences were yeah. live action. Okay, didn't work. Now they're still working on a live action. They are. Little Mermaid mm-hmm. for twenty twenty two. Uh, twenty one. I think twenty one. Okay. Which we'll see what happens. Yeah, but this is TV because that was didn't work. that kind of got me a little confused when I heard they're doing Little Mermaid live, like they've done some of these other live shows. Well, I thought it was going to be the Broadway musical that was adapted from the movie. Okay, and the full on show. I'm like, okay. oh, all right, that'll be cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until like a few days before that I first heard, mm-hmm. no, it's animated and live. It's almost like they didn't put that part out there right okay. away. And I was sort of like, what? Mm-hmm. Was it a mess and they just didn't want to advertise it? I, I don't yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But it certainly wasn't what people expected. Yeah. Uh, John Stamos, as the chef, yeah. did not, I don't think, I don't think he bought into it. Okay. I think it was more, I'm John Stamos, cheer for me doing right. this thing, as yeah. opposed to, I'm morphing into this character, and you're not even going to know it's John mm-hmm. Stamos right. sort of thing. Right. As a Broadway or a stage performer should, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be stunt casting, it shouldn't be, I see you as mm-hmm. this, or I, I see you as you being this person, mm-hmm. it should be, I see you as this character. Mm-hmm. When uh, The first time I went to go see Hamilton, 
mm-hmm. Wayne Brady had taken over the role of Aaron Burr. Yeah. And I was really worried that it was going to be Wayne Brady, Wayne Brady being Wayne Brady. <laughs> yeah. And there was not one moment in that show where I was like, that's Wayne that's Brady. That's Wayne Brady, yeah. He was Aaron Burr. Yeah. He respected the role, respected the part, respected the contribution to the show. Okay. And I didn't get that sense from uh, from John Stamos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yes, Les Poissons is my favorite song from that. Um, but like you said, all of them, amazing. Okay, last question, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up and we'll head on out of here. Um, but maybe a more complicated question. Oh, good. It's, yeah. Um, so we, the last few podcasts, we've kind of started it off with this question, and we've talked about the history. We've talked about kind of the ups and downs of animation. We've gone into mm-hmm. some of the technical stuff. We've talked about the movie itself and the, the songs and the performances. And I, but how does this movie make you feel? When you watch this movie... How does this movie make you feel? <sighs> Hungry for seafood. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> no. How does it make me... But yes. <laughs> when, I was, when I first saw it, when I was 10, 11 years old, it made me feel reinvigorated by Disney animation. I certainly couldn't use those words when I was mm-hmm. 10 or 11 years old, yeah. but that was the sense that I got. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, this was something special. Mm-hmm. I definitely had that feeling. Mm-hmm. Knowing what I know now of the importance of this movie, I feel grateful for it. Mm-hmm. I feel grateful for the the animators that fought for their jobs mm-hmm. that never gave up. Right. I feel grateful for the songwriting team of Alan Menken and, and Howard Ashman mm-hmm. that had a vision. Um, I appreciate this movie mm-hmm. on a whole other level, probably yeah. more so than I enjoy any other Disney animated movie. Mm-hmm. It's not my favorite Disney animated mm-hmm. movie, right? But it might be the one I appreciate the most, more so than the likes of Snow White, yeah. Where we have, you know, the one that started it all. Mm-hmm. I appreciate this one on a whole other level, and everything that went into it, mm-hmm. and the importance of it, and what it was able to do mm-hmm. in its success, yeah. For me, this one, when I watch this one, it almost doesn't feel like a cartoon. It almost doesn't feel like animation. Like, sometimes when I'm watching, as an adult, especially if I'm watching an animated movie, I feel like, this is for kids. Mm -hmm. I can enjoy this because I'm here with my children watching this, or I have nostalgia for this because I watched it when I was a kid, and I, I remember those feelings. This is one of those movies that when I watch it, it's... I think the, the situations that the characters are in are simple enough so the kids can understand. She has no voice. She needs to get them to fall in love with her. But then there's the tension piece of it, and there's the, you know, the, the Disney people will throw in some, you know, veiled innuendo and some other stuff throughout their movies. But, um, you know, I think there's enough there for an adult to also be captivated by the writing. The characters are real. Yeah. I think that's why... I, I forget it's a cartoon. I think like that's I why it works it, on, on multiple levels. Yeah. The characters are real. It's not dumbed down because they're trying to get a kid audience. Right. They're just telling a real story. Right. They're, it's a story that connects with almost everyone. Mm-hmm. You look at that list of, of movies that came out right before it. Mm-hmm. Who's it connecting with? Right. You know, they made Oliver and Company. They're trying to connect with kids using mm-hmm. rock and roll stars that kids don't know. Right. The only um, I, I used to like that movie as a kid, and it's okay now as an adult. The Black Cauldron the connected thing, with no one. I like Black Cauldron. People who have black hearts. <laughs> That's okay. who the Black Cauldron connected with. Um, um, but no, I, Oliver and Company, watching it for the podcast was Grey a Mouse couple, de- couple years ago. Grey Mouse Detective. The only thing I connected with in Oliver with no and Company one. was Billy Joel. Yeah. Because I like Billy Joel. <laughs> then or now? But uh, No. Then, too. I like Billy Joel back then, too. But back then, it was also, it's a cartoon. Right. And it has talking dogs and cats. and Yeah. But 
but something like The Little Mermaid, and I think moving forward with a lot of their other movies is, and I think that's why some of them have translated well into the live action ones too. We watched the live action Cinderella, really like that one. Mm-hmm. We watched the live action Beauty and the Beast, really like that one. You treat your characters as yeah. real, right? Don't dumb them down, which right. is why um, Beauty and the, the animated Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. came back as a smashing success yeah. after Rescuers Down Under. Right. Not only did you have the the right the, the expectation of the music, mm-hmm. but you had real characters. Mm-hmm. Really, it was the follow-up movie to Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, that right. they were putting a lot of money on. Yeah. Because they went from Little Mermaid to the failure of mm-hmm. Rescuers Down Under right. to the success of Beauty and the Beast. Right. What's the next step in this pattern? Mm-hmm. Is it now we're going to be another failure? Because mm-hmm. they had already committed. Roy Disney had already committed to, we're going to do an animated movie a year. Yeah. Which is means that, you can start making them like three much, to four years fast? at a time. <laughs> So Aladdin really became the the one that like this one needs to be the successful one, yeah. Which it ended up being, yeah. And then we got Lion King after that, which was like Disney can do no wrong, right? And then they started that's, failing. Well, yeah. But that's a story but, for another day. But then Pixar showed up and saved it. <laughs> that's a whole other story. Lion King is actually probably if I had to list a favorite Disney animated movie, um, I'd say Lion King. That's probably my favorite. But, yeah. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for Little Mermaid. Was it. was it worth the wait? It was good, good. To, to be able to tell the story of Disney animation. Yeah, it's it's an important story. Mm-hmm. And, well, when, and like you said before, this is a pivotal movie well, in the Disney history. You look at all their independent properties for a lot of um, a lot of their theme park stuff, and it's all mm-hmm. tied to the, their animated franchise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, mostly tied to their animated franchise. Yeah. Without it, you know, what do they have to stand on? They need that animation aspect to be there. Do they have any rides or any parts of the park that are tied to Little Mermaid? Yes. Okay. There's a little I mermaid. There's Plaza. a little mermaid ride at the um, in New Fantasyland at Magic Kingdom in Florida. Okay. Okay. That it's pretty much it's an Omnimover, so it, it doesn't stop. Okay. Um, but it just takes you through scenes of, of the movie. Okay. There's okay. an aerial meet and greet. Okay. Um, okay. That's really popular. Yeah. But it's all all the way tucked way back in the park. Okay. That, you know, kind of want to really want to go all the way back there to right. ride this thing. Well, there's there's that. There's the gift shop and there's a fish and chip stand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> there's the seafood restaurant right next to it. I mean, there's, but, I mean, there's with so the insane many, French chef. There's, a, there's so many other attractions that you have to walk past mm-hmm. to get to the Little Mermaid yeah. ride that you know it's almost not worth it at that point. I mean, almost not, unless you really want to be there. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, yeah. we could have a whole discussion about the parks. That's that's true too. At a later time. That's true too. All right, well, that's going to do it for the Little Mermaid. Uh, coming up, we are we are in the month of December. We are finishing out 1989 and finishing out the 80s with our last three 80s movies and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker coming up. So coming up next week will be When Harry Met Sally, uh, Say Anything, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, and then if I can get my act together, released on actual Christmas Day will be National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, God, do I love that movie. <laughs> I can't wait for that one. I love that movie so I hard. I that one. It's so great. We're going to have a hard time picking, like, favorite scene or favorite quote. Yeah, we are. Because, like, the we'll whole just, movie. We might just have to do a, like, just tell people, okay, put your movie in. Where are you going? Hit, You're uh, not leaving. Oh, no. <laughs> just hit play. We'll do a commentary episode. We'll just do we'll that. See the hap, hap, happiest people since <laughs> Bing Cosby tap dance with Danny K. <laughs> <sighs> Holy crap, where's the Tylenol? <laughs> ah. Can't even see the line. Can't see the line. Can't it. No, you can't, Dad. All right. <laughs> Can I take something out for you? It wouldn't be, the ho- <laughs> wouldn't be the holiday season if the stores weren't any hooter hotter than they are hotter now. Than they are. Oh. Well, that's my name. <laughs> oh. No sh- uh.
All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode, and it's going to do it for us this week. We'll see you back here next time for When Harry Met Sally. So be excellent to each other, go watch some good movies, and we'll see you back here next time.